0: Hi, welcome to Not All Lawyers Have Law Degrees and lots of other things that we found out about becoming a lawyer and the people that do.
1: Hi, I'm Bridget. When you're thinking about your future career, you're applying for a job or you're changing careers, there are some really practical things to consider and we wanted to get some expert advice. So I spoke to Rihanna Papon. She's a senior associate at Rare Recruitment, where she works helping to develop prospective lawyers and increasing diversity in the legal profession. So if you're struggling with what to write about yourself in a job application, whether to include a photo and how to ace that upcoming interview you have, she can help. But first, CVs, what you really should include and what you might want to leave out. One big issue for me when I was starting out as a lawyer and applying for positions when I was studying law at university was what to put on the section in your CV when it talks about hobbies or interests. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a tricky issue, right? Because you want to give something of yourself and be authentic and and honest, but professional. And I never knew how to differentiate myself without crazy stuff like- (laughs) fencing and like clay pigeon shooting, which is
2: (laughs) bonkers, what would you suggest aspiring lawyers do? I mean, some people do actually uh, enjoy tape pigeon shooting. I've never done it myself. Um, sure. So it, it might yeah. be a, sure. a pastime uh, that's uh, genuine, yeah. but I would try to be as authentic as possible. The, the reason being is because, you know, if you are a prospective lawyer, integrity is particularly important. You know, everything you submit should be absolutely factual, authentic, and should be your own experience. Um, the reason why prospective employers will ask about that is, you know, not because they have sort of a list of hobbies that they believe, you know, the carbon copy of a lawyer, you know, what it should look like. But actually it's, do you um, have other interests? You know, what do they look like? Um, what does that say about you? And sometimes once you start to outline what those hobbies or extracurricular activities are, You give that prospective employer a better sense of even what transferable skills you may or may not have. So let's say you're interested in a sport. Um, I don't know, whether it be tennis, it doesn't have to be competitive playing or anything like that, but actually you might be able to demonstrate that you are a team player or you get along with others and so forth. So actually by focusing on your genuine interests, you're more likely to convey a passion about it. In particular, should you get to the interview stage? So. Um, I just want to stress: there are no right or wrongs when it comes to hobbies. I wouldn't make things up because you might actually have an interviewer that genuinely is interested in what you said you do, and if they're not operating a CV blind basis, they might ask you about it. And you know, yeah, that could be embarrassing. yeah, that could be embarrassing yeah. You Get disheveled, you know, and actually, it becomes quite obvious that you haven't been <laughs> honest. Also, voluntary experiences, you know, voluntary experience are not paid. So, if you're volunteering for any organisation, charity, etc., you know, that could be classified as I either a non-legal type of work experience but and or an extracurricular and that also says a lot about your interests, what you enjoy doing and some of the soft skills that you you've demonstrated on
1: the question of experience and you're right that there are lots of different ways you can obviously get experience you could work in a coffee shop when you're studying you could do voluntary work like you suggested what if you don't have any experience and you don't know what to put on a cv when you're 18 or 19 what would you suggest
2: yeah, I mean, this is where, you know, in a lot of ways, the the hard part falls on that prospective lawyer, you know, the one that's interested in becoming a lawyer, because they are going to want to see that you can work with others, and you can demonstrate other core elements that they're looking for. So in that sense, if you, you know, haven't hit the ground running, and you've secured a, a part time job or a full time job, that's okay. When you start studying in some capacity, you will have things to talk about, whether it be I was part of X society, you know, and I got involved in this particular activity, although not necessarily legal um, and or not paid. Once again, by the description, the prospective employer will be able to deduce what skills you have that would might make you a good fit for their organisation. So it's all about being proactive and showing. okay, I don't have any formative uh, experience under my belt. What can I do? Is it once things open, volunteering with a particular charity or a store? I mean, when I was um, much younger, I volunteered with the British Heart Foundation as part of my Duke of Edinburgh, um, award. So that's something that, that people could think about doing and or engaging with law firms or businesses virtually, because there are lots of things on, even if it's just say, a one hour webinar about an introduction to a particular type Mm -hmm. of law. There are lots of things like that floating around, even for those that are in their sort of pre-university time of studying. Google is your best Mm. friend. You know, if you were to Google six form, you know, legal work experiences or something akin to that, there are lots of different things that will pop up, but it's just about sieving through um, if none of the sort of more established organisations are ones that you're aware Mm. of. Something else I've always found
1: difficult when putting together CVs and also when looking at CVs, when I now do recruitment in my role as a lawyer at the BBC is photos. Are you pro
2: or anti? Mm, Anti. Okay. Um, Why? Anti because the content of your CV is really what should give the snapshot of who Mm. you are and what you have to offer. And that in itself is supposed to entice me to want to, you know, progress you in a particular uh, process, whether it be graduate recruitment level and or beyond that point. So I would say if you have a CV that has your photo on it, maybe keep it, but try to uh, create a different version, you know, a version that's no more than two A4 sides, just black and white, you know, relatively formal font, you know, Times New Roman is always a, a good one to use, maybe size 11 font. Um, and just outline who you are in a really structured way, whether it be introduction to yourself. So some people will include a personal statement. Then I always say, start with academics with your most recent academics first. So working in that order, then start, start with your work experience, whether that be legal and then non-legal or whatever way you want to do it, then extracurriculars and then other achievements. Um, but I don't think the picture adds any value. They're not going, to invite you through um, based on your picture alone. So I would try to work on boosting the content of the CV itself so that that is enough for them to want to see you. I have to say the two pages is,
1: I mean, is daunting. Uh, Mine were always essays. They were like 15 pages (laughs) and I would, you know, show my parents or some of my peers and they'd all have, yeah, I mean my parents would just shred my CVs uh, down to, as you say, about sort of two or three pages. But it's difficult, isn't it, when it's your own experiences and it's information about yourself it's difficult to to know what what will and won't be important to someone else if it's important to you another issue i've i've found over the years with with cvs and particularly in england so you probably can tell from my accent Mm. i'm australian i qualified as a lawyer in sydney where where i'm from And in Australia, we don't tend to include our schools. So the name of the school we went to on our CV, and I've noticed it's something that's quite a, I guess, a popular trend over, over here in England why is that? And is that something that prospective employers look
2: for? Would you recommend it? No. So I would not necessarily say that there is a type of school you have need to have gone to or the employer is looking for something in particular, but the academic requirements, especially for those that are wanting to become a lawyer, are particularly important. You're talking about grades there. It grades. So really the where you completed those particular modules or, or subjects um, is not massively mm-hmm. important. It's actually the grades. Um, it's not always possible for everybody. Um, and employers, of course, will take into consideration mitigating circumstances. Um, so I wouldn't want anyone to be put off. Let's say you didn't get all A's, you know, yeah. at A level or whatever the case may be. Um, but that's really what they're looking for. And,
1: and if we talk about sort of that contextualization and putting in mitigating circumstances, mm. because most, as you say, most people won't have, you know the best grades in the world. Most of us, we have to prop up our CVs with great experience and with confidence. How how would you recommend people contextualize grades if they're not They're not
2: amazing. Absolutely. Um, So it's all about, once again, being honest. If for any reason that you did not attain, let's say, AAA or the the level of academic requirements stated by the organisation or the law firm, the important thing is don't panic. You know, you don't want to fabricate things because sometimes these law firms, organisations will ask you for academic Mm. transcripts. And, you know, there are some unfortunate scenarios that I've seen in my career where someone has not been honest and actually has backfired and any sort of graduate job they have been offered, it has been withdrawn as a result. Um, but the, the thing to remember is law firms or these kinds of organisations do want to recruit normal people and not everyone will have achieved the highest grades. So most applications um, or even in an interview space um there will be room to give students space to explain their circumstances that might have affected their academic performance. So it could be personal circumstances. It could even have been this recent pandemic because, you know, as we know, it did massively disrupt the completion of examinations, both GCSE, A-level, and even, you know, university. Um, so it's important that you're honest about it. Do not be ashamed or worried that the law firm uh, will not be interested in reading your application because they will. I think that's really reassuring. I mean, I like the, the point you
1: made earlier that, these days, hopefully a lot of employers are looking for normal employees. And that's something I think is not stressed enough. I know I stopped myself from applying for particular jobs because I didn't have the top marks. I knew a lot of, a lot of my peers, a lot of my friends are law school who had the top level of academic attainment at universities in Australia. And I just thought there's no point. And I think that's quite a dispiriting right. message. So it, it's good to hear that, you know, hopefully things are changing and there's a more holistic, I guess, approach to CV, yeah, CV review. And on applications, um, how how do you persuade someone that you're the best candidate for the job? There's always that sort of slightly awkward bit at the top of a CV where you might give a bit of a blurb. I've read a lot of CVs where people say, I'm an outstanding candidate. And you think, oh, you might be, but everyone's saying that. So how do, yeah. how do you differentiate yourself?
2: I have very mixed views on that personal statement because like you said, you know, you have people that use all kinds of descriptive words to convey they're the best of the best. But actually all you're doing is telling me what you personally think. I need to be able to deduce by your CV or application and that's what I think. So really it's about using um, quantitative measures. So for example, whenever we advise candidates to speak about their extracurricular activities, we say use quantitative measures. You know, if you're in a team, how many were in that team? If you raise a certain amount of money, Okay. How much money did you raise? Try to be as detailed as possible. Equally, when you're conveying your interest in that particular law firm, you also want to submit informed pieces. So, if you know you're interested in the firm because it's global, okay, well, lots of law firms are global. So, just by using such a vague sentence, I would be able to supplement that firm's name for another. But if you said, you know, the, I'm particularly appealed by the firm's global presence, as evidenced by the X amount of offices they have in X amount of countries, that is not going to be widely transferable to a law firm. So there isn't any kind of one unique statement or sentence you can submit to demonstrate that you tick all the boxes, but actually the way in which you write is what is going to motivate them to want to find out more. Okay. So if we think about sort of the life
1: cycle of an application, we've got our hopefully two page CV, um, like clay pigeons (laughs) shooting, that's on the CV. That's on the CV. If we move now to kind of interview prep, because let's assume I'm I'm progressing to the, the first round or the second round of recruitment for a law firm or a spot at, at law school at a university, let's say. Yeah. The first thing I think about, if I'm honest, is what to wear for a job interview. I remember a friend having an experience where she was basically chastised in an interview at a top law firm in Sydney because she didn't wear a jacket. It's a really hot day and she had her arms showing in the interview and just hadn't put the jacket on because it was 30 degrees. I mean, such a basic thing, but what would you wear to a job interview if you're in your early twenties? You don't have a huge corporate wardrobe.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You you know what? That's a shame and it, it can happen. Um, firstly, you know, going out and buying a whole new professional wardrobe is very expensive. Mm. So sometimes it's about being, uh, you know, creative and thinking about what do you have at the moment? If you, you know, previously had uh, some professional experience, or let's say you have a a job, a part-time job, you might have a blouse, um, that you can wear that that's hanging around, even if it's sort of an old school blouse, but maybe it doesn't have any emblems on it. Let's say, depending on obviously where you are in your academic, um, sort of life cycle, you might be able to wear that and put on, um you know a cardigan on top of it for example obviously here in the uk we're not fortunate enough to be blessed with good weather no. all the time <laughs> um, so more often than not wearing a cardigan or a jacket is something that's okay here you know you're you're unlikely to be um uncomfortable um but even if you've got you know close family or friends and you, you ask you know whether or not you can borrow something to wear um there are of course not that i will name them there are stores where um, you can buy a uh, fairly cheap or, or not necessarily extensively priced professional wear, even charity sh- shops. So once again, it's about being creative. Unfortunately, most law firms and organizations will not allow you to interview in casual wear. You know, whilst that would be the dream uh, for those working at home, that's something that we can do a bit more. What even is formal wear these days? You say casual wear. I
1: mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm wearing tracksuit pants right now. I assume I couldn't do that if
2: I was rocking up to a corporate law firm interview. Exactly. So if I was going to um, interview at one of our clients, one of the commercial law firms you work with, I would probably wear some sort of, you know, fairly dark dress you know, probably around knee length, something like that, depending on the weather, but, you know, bearing in mind English weather, perhaps tights. And, you know, I do think at these law firms, um, at least the clients we work with, you could have your arms out. You know, if you are presentable, you might have a dress that actually you know, as a shift dress, it doesn't have sleeves, or you might have a dress that does equally. You can wear trousers, you know, as a female, it's not all about wearing a dress or a skirt. Yes. Those things, if if you enjoy wearing them, they're there for the taking, but you could wear some smart trousers, um, you know, whether it be ankle length or whatever the case may be and a blouse or some sort of, um, smart polar neck. So there isn't necessarily, um, an exhaustive list of what you can wear, but if you're not entirely sure, you can literally Google, you know, smart wear, and you'll see lots of ideas pop up. Um, And you can grab some bits and pieces from there. I have to say I had a very
1: embarrassing experience. One of my first uh, jobs when I worked in England, it was a really cold day and I was wearing a dress and I said, Oh, I wish I was wearing stockings and I'm, We use the word stockings and understand, as you said, the word over here is tights and it has a, I understand stockings has a very different meaning to tights. (laughs) And I got all these sort of prudish looks, like I, you know, I'd said something diabolical and I've learnt my lesson. Um, Uh, Okay. So we know what we're wearing. What about if I, if I get asked something about specialization? I remember that coming up a lot and actually in, in interviews when I was starting out in, in the legal profession. And I remember. One of my first employers, uh, this fantastic woman, I worked in law reform in Australia and I had this fantastic boss, big shout out to to, to Barbara, and she said to me, specialise as early as you can. But that's quite daunting advice for young people. If you get asked in an interview when you're 18 or 23 or 26 mm. and let's say it's a partner in a law firm who's in the banking division, he or she says, would you want to work in this division? Do you want to be a banking lawyer? And you have no clue what area you want to specialize in. How honest should you
2: be? Very honest, because there's a way in which you can navigate that kind of question. If you're being interviewed for an internship or graduate role or, you know, a lateral role, um, it's very important you demonstrate a broader interest in that law firm, that organization, which means all of its competencies. The The key here is if you do have a particular interest in a practice area, let's say, or you have a sector focus you're interested in, it's fine to say you're really interested in it and why, and then make the connection to why then this role appeals to you at this law firm. However, I actually find that um, for the students that we work with or career changers and so forth, it's better to demonstrate flexibility when it comes to interest, because if you are still studying, or let's say you haven't started what we call the training contract. So the two-year training pre-qualification, you are likely to sit in several different practice areas. So if you came into an interview and you shoehorned yourself into having a particular interest, and that was your only interest, what that will do is actually put off your interviewer and think, okay, so... This person is probably going to be less flexible. This person is probably going to be hard to work with. Yeah.
1: And so, and that's something we've had a lot of questions in from students at the University of Law. And that's a big one that they've been asking us about is how honest to be when you're starting out and you don't quite know. And I mean, one big mistake I made, I, I distinctly recall an interview, I won't name where it was. I was asked, what do you want to do with your career? You know, where do you see yourself in five, 10, 15 years? And I think I gave the the worst possible answer, which is, I don't even know if I want to be a lawyer. And Ah, unsurprisingly, (laughs) I did not get that job. So that's kind of on the extreme end of honesty. And I assume the advice that you would give and that others would give is, you know, you need to aim somewhere in the middle between being honest and being professional. And hopefully you've done your research and you know something about the place you're
2: applying to. Exactly. Um, Otherwise you, you wouldn't have been progressed to interview. So, you know, hopefully you would have done the requisite research where you at least have some sort of interest in that law firm's offering. And even if you can't commit to saying, actually... I absolutely want to qualify into, you know, the practice area of your interviewer. And if you're not being honest, they'll know, Um, you know, do show an interest in something that the law firm does when it comes to the work they do, Um, because law firms offer lots of other opportunities. Some offer client secondments, international secondments, volunteering opportunities, but essentially the bread and butter of how they make their money is the work clients pay for. So as long as you can demonstrate an interest in an area of specialism they do have, you don't need to commit long-term and they're not going to hold you to it. You know, I definitely want to be a banking and finance lawyer, um, but show an interest and then demonstrate flexibility because it's likely, especially if you're training and you're not already a qualified lawyer moving on to your next endeavor, you need to be able to show that you're happy to move around a little bit and pick up the expertise from lots of different sectors before deciding where you want to qualify.
1: And talking about questions in in interviews, I mean, there are lots of different types of interview formats. There's psychiatric testing, there's competency where they ask you about general kind of skills and capacities What sorts of interview styles should people expect?
2: It could be a mixture. With competency, that's their sort of soft fact-finding. So that's likely to be slightly more conversational, casual, but at the same time, the onus will be on the interviewee to um, be as descriptive as possible. So one of the best mechanisms I would advise for um, competency interviews is using the star structure, so describing what the situation was, the task or action you took and what was the result? Because what you then do, you're you're allowing yourself to tell a really structured story without forcing your interviewer to desperately claw out, you know, more questions to get that information from you and keep the conversation going. Um, so with the competency format, it's slightly more casual. Now, especially with commercial law firms, and I'm sure other non-commercial firms, um, sometimes you're given a technical exercise. So some sort of case study or having a business article discussion. So this is to test the more intellectual um, abilities of, of the candidate. It really depends on the format of that assessment piece, because more often than not with case studies, let's say, this is where they give you a fictional business scenario and they'll say something like, you know, what are some of the legal and or commercial risks? It's like a problem question. When you're at school or uni. Exactly that. So it's about once again trying to work through that scenario in a systematic way. So if you can try to group some of the issues that you found under themes, that is a really fantastic way of organizing your thoughts and delivering it. Um, If it's an article discussion, the similar thing applies. If they say, um, you know, what are some of the issues you've you've picked up here or what are your thoughts on a particular thing? Try to group some of the ideas you have in themes and then present it because uh, what the interview is looking for is. Logical and coherent reasoning, you know, and thought pattern. And then lateral thinking. So they you might suggest something and they say, oh, that's really interesting. So would your view change if X applied? And it's about you having to think on your feet. Don't feel afraid to pause or say, it's a really good question. Would you mind if I have a quick think about that? You know, give yourself a few seconds. Or, you know, what I say is a water trick. You, you have always have a glass of water there, take a sip of water that's going to oh, buy you a few some seconds. Time. I like
1: it yeah. yeah,
2: exactly. And then relaying your answer. So I I can't say that there's um, a one-size-fits-all for navigating these kinds of things, but being as structured as possible will massively help. And with competency, the onus is on you to tell your story. The interviewer should not have to ask you lots and lots of leading questions to elicit information from you because then what they're thinking is, this is too much hard work.
1: Totally. I, I know from my experience doing interviews, one of the hardest things is when you feel like you're, as you say, like extracting answers. It's like getting water out of a stone. And I think when I look back to who have been the best people I've interviewed, the best candidates, people who came with like lots of examples. It's like coming with lots of, you know, coming with lots of gifts and lots of shopping is always how I think about it. They've come with lots of groceries and they can pluck examples out of the air. I mean, how would you encourage people to prep for an interview like that to write out a list of examples? Absolutely.
2: To, To a degree, what you don't want to do is write a script because then right. what two things are going to happen. Either you're going to memorize it all and during the interview itself, you're going to be really mechanical and robotic and they'll know it's rehearsed, or you'll put so much pressure on yourself to memorize it that if you miss a word or phrase, it can really make you stumble and start panicking. And then it messes up the flow of your, the rest of your delivery. I would advise sort of, um, either a spider graph so what i mean by that is for example having one characteristic so let's say teamwork it's an easy one draw a circle around it and then put some arrows and have a brainstorm based on your knowledge of yourself your experiences your cv what experiences can you talk about that demonstrate teamwork? Do the same for, you know, leadership, let's say, or customer service or resilience. And actually by brainstorming it, what you're doing is you're fleshing out some of those experiences, reminding yourself you had those experiences and of what you contributed in that role. And that would make it easier for you to tell the story later down the line in an interview setting. And actually what you can do is maybe have a look up most common asked so you know most commonly asked questions um you know some of which as you said earlier you know give me an example of a time when you've had to deal with a difficult situation or a person let's say give me an example of a time when you've had to um you know work under pressure you know these are the kinds of topical questions that are very likely to come up They're very, so very familiar, you
1: know, Yeah. you can
2: actually go away and have a think you know you know working under pressure do the circle around it, some arrows, mm. give some examples and remind yourself that actually you've got the requisite work experience and qualifications and or accolades. Otherwise they wouldn't be inviting you to interview. So now it's about, okay, how can I frame this in a way where I'm just jogging my memory so that I can talk about these things in a natural way. But as I said before, with the detail, you know, with the quantitative measures um, and as and where appropriate, in chronological order, if the question requires a candidate to do so. For example, the tell me, tell me about yourself question, it doesn't always naturally appear as a typical competency question, but it's a typical icebreaker question in those kinds of settings. So even preparing for the tell me about yourself, you can do that just by a spider graph and, and you know, making notes, some of the things that you think would be good for them to know as an introduction. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like really
1: the balance, the balance is between being authentic
2: and honest and
1: professional. I guess to end on on that note, what's your one big tip for aspiring lawyers when they're applying for jobs in the legal profession?
2: I would say always have your narrative ready, you know, your story to tell, um, because one of the things they will ask you in some um, form or another is why are you here? You know, why are you here? Why are you interested in the firm? Um, and have, have a narrative, have a clear, cut structure on how you want to deliver that. So when did your interest in law start? You know, what kind of practical examples can you give and then tell your story from there on out you know use the resources available to you reach out to people try to secure mentorship Um, and there are organisations not just like Rare several others that are there to help you know those are interested in becoming prospective lawyers so do make applications and reach out to people for that support because it is absolutely there for the taking Um, but beyond that best of luck to anybody um, you know that's wanting to break into the legal profession it's definitely worthwhile once you get there, but it's a journey and it can be quite tough. So I would say try to uh, remain motivated and see how it goes. That was Rihanna Popon,
1: Senior Associate at Rare Recruitment. I'm joined now by my colleague Georgie Yates. Hey, Georgie, how are you going? Hey, Bridget, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Did you learn some some fun tips about how to how to put a CV together and how to approach a, an interview? I certainly did.
0: Absolutely. Oh my gosh, so much good
1: advice there. I think the most perhaps confronting but useful tip that Rihanna gave for me was to to try to limit your CV down to two pages. I've definitely been
0: guilty of some some essays in my day. Also, my little sister called me the other day to ask me what I thought the like normal font size was because she was talking to her flatmate who was claiming that she thought the normal size to write a document in was size 9. And I think that is totally bizarre. That is crazy. Way too, <laughs> <small>. <laughs> Way too small. Yeah. Um, as Rihanna says, size 11 11, 11. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: You need, you need something that's, um, I guess useful enough to help you fit it on those two pages, yeah. <laughs> but not so small that your, your examiner or your, um, recruiter is squinting. No, totally. Um, and as someone who applied for and, and was successfully recruited as a BBC legal apprentice at, mm-hmm. is it 18? 18. 18 that you applied? Yeah. Yeah. Um, inc- I mean, incredible. What in terms of kind of experience that you were able to talk to in your application or your interviews? You know, it was a lot of discussion that I had with Rihanna about the difficulty, perhaps, that young aspiring lawyers might face if they haven't had job experience or legal experience prior to making an application. Did you have that experience? And if so, what was it like?
0: Well, to begin with, when I first had the interview, it was like on a day that I was supposed to be sitting an A-level exam, so I had to get it moved. No. I was living in Huddersfield at the time and the interview was in London and it moved to a day that was – I sat an exam on the Monday, came down for my interview on the Tuesday, and then sat two exams on the Wednesday. Um, Insane. But uh, aside from that, it was kind of like quite a standard – competency-based interview where they were kind of asking about tell us about a time when you've demonstrated x thing um and a lot of what I talked about was kind of I had a Saturday job where I worked in a florist which was super helpful when I talked about kind of dealing with tricky customers or Mm. thinking on your feet or making Mm. sure that you do a job well regardless of what the job is but I remember really clearly them asking about times in which I've negotiated and how you like what makes for a good negotiator i identify as queer and i was part of a church that wasn't necessarily accepting of that and i said i feel like i'm doing lots of negotiating on that front where i'm trying to kind of advocate for myself and talk about what my experience is like um and i remember saying also one of the things about being a good negotiator is knowing when to stop like knowing when you're not gonna not gonna um necessarily help people see your point of view. Mm. Um and I think I think it's quite a ballsy answer to the question. Mm. But I think it does like illustrate like like a good point, which is like you're thinking carefully about other people's perspectives and like trying to learn to advocate for yourself. They're they're great
1: examples, and I think really illustrative of the point that Rihanna was making—that you don't necessarily have to have had, let's say, experience in an office if totally. you're applying. Yeah, yes. you can draw on. I mean, I was the same when I applied for my first job. I'd had sort of volunteer work and, you know, in at legal organisations like law centres at uni. Um, but prior to that, my only paid work experience was in a coffee shop. But again, as you say, the same skills are applicable in terms. Of you know managing your time, managing customers, yes, 100%. Learn, you know learning how to yeah deal with difficult situations. So I think it's really. Uh, reassuring to hear from someone who works in recruitment and has that kind of experience that it's okay if you don't have the the kind of equivalent legal experience to the role that you're applying for. You're not going to be absolutely. automatically discounted.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that in terms of your own personal confidence, you shouldn't let that be something that kind of worries you or feels like, oh, I'm I'm not capable of this. Yeah, absolutely.
1: There's more advice about applications and interviews in our chats with Leila LaZanne from the Law Society and Daisy Mortimer from the Inner Temple. And who knew it? There is a national career service on the government website. It has advice on applications, interviews, CVs, letter writing, LinkedIn profiles, and much, much more. Check it out. We've posted the link in our show notes. Don't miss out on our new episodes. You can find them on Apple, Spotify, Acast and everywhere you find good podcasts. It would be a huge help to us if you could like, maybe leave a review and subscribe to our podcast. And you can find us on Instagram. Just search Not All Lawyers Pod and use the hashtag Not All Lawyers. This has been Not All Lawyers Have Law Degrees from the BBC's legal team.